welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Scott Corelli, and today we're talking about Minute 13, which begins with Ripley asking what people, and ends with Burke about to knock on Ripley's door. And we have Lindsay Romaine back with us again today. Thanks again for coming back, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. All right, so we're back. We're right in the middle of the conversation here with Van Lewin. Ripley's pretty shocked to find out that LV-426 has inhabitants now. And Van Lewin is very happy to tell her all about what a shake-and-bake colony is, right? Doesn't he seem a little kind of excited to tell her? I don't know what to make of this performance, uh, how he's how he gives her this information. It's almost like he made up the phrase, like, shake-and-bake colony and just thinks he's really clever and funny. <laughs> yeah, maybe he did make it up and copyright, he got the copyright and everything, and the company yeah. bought it from him, and he's still thinking about how... What a boon that was to his life. <laughs> Shake and bake colony, yeah. I uh, I really, I think it's really interesting that um, that line seems to suggest that uh, shake and bake is still a thing uh, this far <laughs> into the future. <laughs> shake and bake is not still a thing in our future, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it was the last time you sh- shook and baked anything. Uh... I haven't done that since the 80s. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I imagine that's one of those things that might continue into the parlance uh, for for a long time to come. And nobody, it'd be one of those things, you know, did you know the etymology of shake and bake? It was this crazy stuff in a box that the, you shook shook chicken in. Uh, you know, the nostalgia phases that we kind of go through. So maybe shake and bake comes back at some point and it's, you know, just as popular as ever. Yeah, it could, maybe it does. What what exactly would make this colony a shake and bake colony though? And just now, this idea is just coming to mind. Had I thought of it, I might have looked it up and seen if they use that in some other way, in some other facet of engineering or whatever. Why is it shake and bake? What what are they shaking and baking here on this colony? Uh, I think it. I think the idea, and I mean, maybe maybe I'm thinking too hard on this. Um, and and actually, it makes it not a clever statement because it you really have to bend over backwards to make this work. But I guess the way that I thought of it was that they're going to these planets, these uh, these terraformers, these planet engineers, um, these families. They're going and they're hanging out on these planets for like you know twenty years, thirty years to terraform the planets and make the, the the air breathable and so i guess the idea is that you know when you when you do um shake and bake the whole thing was like i you know you have the little kid saying like i made I, you know it's shake and bake and i helped um and so i think the idea is that he's basically calling the humans like they don't even have to be educated they just go and they flip a switch and they hang out there for 30 years it's really easy shake and bake colony <laughs> like okay the because I'm thinking, like, do you have to have kids to go do this? Like, when you apply for the job, are they like, hey, it's a shake-and-bake colony. Who's going to help you if right. you don't have kids? Like, what? I, I can't believe you went to the I helped uh, <laughs> I, realized I, you're don't, doing I, like, I don't know what else it could mean. I, I don't you're right. Either. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really make sense. Maybe that's why he's like – maybe they don't call it that. Maybe he's just still messing with Ripley. He's like, oh, they call it a shake-and-bake colony, and then he grins a little. Like, yeah, she doesn't know. Yeah, it's really weird. But she's pretty so she's pretty shocked at this, obviously, for good reason. And, you know, this particular minute, we're we're going to have to talk. We might have a big conversation to have here because she finds out about this colony that in the director's cut, actually, we see. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, of course, we're talking about the theatrical cut, but we'd be amiss to not talk about the Hadley's Hope sequence of the director's cut because it's a big I mean, 
I'm probably wrong about this. There might be something else. Is there another director's cut that has a bigger, singular, consecutive chunk of footage put back into the movie? I, I, I might, there's probably, the listeners are probably like, are you kidding? But I can't think of anything. Can you guys? No. It's like 15 minutes. I, yeah. I can't think of, usually it's small pieces and things are always seen here and there. Maybe, you know, maybe Apocalypse Now, The French Plantation, that could be. The Lord of the Rings probably has. If oh, you're... true. Uh, but except aren't those all little small scenes? Um, anyway. Don't we don't well, there's the whole the Mouth of Sauron thing that's pretty long. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. But I'm not sure. But anyway, so let's talk about Hadley's Hope. This is a controversial cut. Um, a lot of people prefer to have Hadley's Hope in there. I do not. Uh, thus, we're, we're talking about the theatrical cuts. Well, what do you guys think? I also don't really care for it. Um, I, not that I don't care for it. I think it's cool from like a the level of like a completionist. Like if you want to see all of this stuff, but I think it sort of minimizes uh, Newt for me. Um, I really like her introduction elsewhere in the theatrical cut. So for me, it just kind of it makes it disconnects it a little bit. Uh, I prefer it, and the reason is that uh, I I don't like this transition here between these two scenes because it feels like not enough time has passed in the movie for uh, after them saying, yeah, nothing's ever going to go wrong and then cut to things going wrong. And it feels a little too abrupt for me. And I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. I think that there needed to be something else between these two scenes, maybe not something as extensive as what is in the director's cut, but something else to separate these two scenes. Cause right now it almost plays like a comedy bit. Um, which I don't know is really what Cameron was going for with this. See, I, I disagree completely. I love the transition here. I, I actually think it works really well. There's there's a couple of little techniques. There's there's the technique of the dissolve, which is just classic time lapse. And then we get, you know, something it's pretty on the nose, but I think on the nose, there's a couple of on the nose things here I want to talk about where that's usually a pejorative. In this case, I think it's necessary. To, we're kind of jumping ahead because there's another one I want to talk about earlier in the scene or in the minute. But this, this length of the cigarette ash visually tells me all I need to know about both time having lapsed. Obviously, I'm not, you know, more time has lapsed than the length of a cigarette. But what it, it symbolizes that. And it also symbolizes Ripley's mind state. And she's waiting for something to go wrong. That's that's exactly what I think is being communicated in that shot and in that in that transition, and I really feel like that's all we need because I, I I I get what you're saying, Scott. I do also feel like it's a little abrupt. I'm not sure what to do about it because I don't think the answer is, oh nothing nothing's ever gone wrong there, and then we cut to the place and everything goes wrong like that. You know, do we either we either have somebody just tell us in a quick efficient moment something went wrong or we have to sit through a scene where we see it go wrong. I think it's kind of the same effect, but I get what you mean. I never thought about it as a comedy kind of thing, but it is Paul Reiser delivering the news. He is a a comedian. So I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I really think we get all we need. Well, okay. I'll go back to the other thing I was talking about. I usually am not a fan of moments like Van Lewin telling her that families live there and then Ripley actually says oh jesus christ families to me that's usually too on the nose mm-hmm. but in this case i'll take on the nose like get the impact of what she's thinking there with the transition with the cigarette 
with what we'll see in the next minute of her response to them coming over a whole 15 minutes in the first act of a movie showing us introducing us to people that are better introduced later introducing us to people we'll never even meet again to me all that stuff is just so inefficient and this movie should be moving I, I, I like how the pace it's moving in the theatrical cut I always feel like it's bogged down by the Hadley's Hope sequence yeah I agree it just feels like a, a detour um and also as you're talking about the the time lapse I know you know Ripley when you see her again she has a haircut her hair's much shorter which obviously you can get a haircut in like five minutes so that doesn't really mean anything but to me that kind of symbolizes you know okay something the significant chunk of time has gone on we don't need this sort of backtracking through all of the stuff it just feels it feels like a prologue almost and it's just the way it's stuck in there for me yeah it just slows it down well i also wanted to talk about newt like Lindsay, you said you know you like newt you like her character and how she's introduced later i 100 percent agreement with that i specifically want to talk about who newt is in this movie what is she identified as in, as a character with the hadley's hope sequence we get sweet little newt with her family, we get the full range of, of an introduction here, a, kind of a standard introduction of a character where you get a status quo, right? But to me, and I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, I, I think that Newt is best uh, served as a character in relation to Ripley, not as much in her own. And that's not to say she's not a well-rounded character. She's, she's played very well in the theatrical cut from the point we, we meet her and what we learn about her and how she bonds with Ripley. But I think in the end, what I want out of Ripley, or what I want out of Newt is what she is to Ripley. Because Ripley is who I really, really care about. And then I care more about Newt because of how much Ripley cares about her. And it's all real muddy to me when I meet her family. I, those, those characters that I never see again, or I don't particularly care about really. Even in relation to Newt, I don't care about her family, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't want to be calloused about it, but no. come on, why should I care about these people? I think it also kind of, for me, like one of the most powerful moments is that moment when Ripley sees the photo of Newt as like a second grade, whatever, like classroom. I don't remember exactly what it says, but um, that to me tells you all you need to know. Okay, she was like this cute little child before this horrible thing happened to her. And those two things kind of, you know, when you actually get her backstory and then you see that, it's like, okay, I already knew. It, it just, I don't know, it kind of fuzzies all of the the weird like the ways that I see her that sequence just I don't know it, it tells too much <laughs> and I agree I think she is better. emotional impact to me you know especially when you're dealing with children I feel like there's more emotional impact in seeing the status quo of a child in duress and then finding out that they were once innocent you know I think that's very impactful when you you come to care about a character who's down and out or in danger or whatever or hardened by the world and then you find out they used to be an innocent kid that's so much more impactful than getting the innocent kid the chronological getting the innocent kid getting the watching them become callous unless that's your story which it's not here uh, this is ripley's story so we really don't need that from newt i i guess one example i could think of is if uh you guys have seen attack the block i assume mm -hmm. i was just going to bring this up i was just going to bring yeah it up. yeah so um i'm i'm if we would have had some sort of intro where Moses was a kid and right. we saw his little blanket on his bed, it would have meant shit. It means a whole lot more when she sees it after we know he's a, you know, a, a wannabe criminal and he's a hardened guy that'll rob, that'll rob a woman, you know, that then we find out, no, he used to be an innocent kid. Wow. That's so much more impactful. So 
yeah, it, I don't, in this I case, don't I, I really think that picture is correct. I think I, that's my point is that I agree with you, Lindsay, that that picture is much more impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't uh, disagree with anything you guys are saying. For me, it's more of a pacing issue. It, it's, it's that it's the, it's the way that this moment plays sort of like a joke in this cut. Um, that I'm not, I don't, I don't like that. I just wish there was, I don't want, I don't really want a 15 minute sequence between these two scenes. Like we get in the director's cut, but something to space out these moments, I would prefer. Um, I don't know what that thing is. I don't think it necessarily needs to be us meeting Newt or anything like that. Even, even something that like cuts to the colony and uh, like we have that opening scene with the, with the, the two guys walking down the hallway and you sort of like see life on this colony. I like that stuff. You don't necessarily need the newt stuff, but I like that stuff. I don't know. For for me, it's just a pacing issue is, is my only problem with how it's played in the theatrical cut. I think it's moving too fast for me personally. Well, let's, let's, let's put on our writing hats and retcon this for just a second. Mm-hmm. Like, you you suggest that they cut to Hadley's Hope. I, I don't know about that either because then you kind of have to tell me why. Sure. You got, there has to be an event, right? Because that's not – we haven't met these people yet. So right. we need an event. But maybe we should stick with Ripley, only give us a little time lapse. Right. Uh, maybe a uh, – you know, let's be real cliche about it. What if she wakes up in the morning and she goes to work and we yeah. see her loading some shit and going home and it's the work a day, the mundane – but maybe we even get a moment where we see her worrying, like maybe checking, you know, it's 1986 so that she doesn't have a uh, Google, but some way of checking in on LV 426. She wants to make sure nothing. Mm-hmm. Happened. I don't know. None of that is the thing, but maybe something more along those lines. I think you'd want to stick with Ripley there. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I get, yeah, I'm not, like I said, I agree with you. It is a little abrupt, but again, we're back to that pacing of the first act let's get through all this and get into our movie because it right. becomes kind of a slow burn for a while at the beginning of the second act and maybe now is not the time to keep you know maybe the pacing wise we just need to get through this intro- introductory in, in, through this first act get her onto that planet and then you have as much time to pace that however you need to mm-hmm. without making it a two and a half hour long movie which it ends up being in the director's cut which i don't like I, right. I just think it, it feels too long. By the time you get to the end of it there, it's it just feels wrong. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we're all in agreement that <laughs> to a certain extent. I mean, Lindsay, you actually – does this bother you at all, this transition? Uh, the transition doesn't bother me, actually. I, I do see what, I do see your point that uh, it does feel a little bit like these two scenes sitting so closely next to each other. And I do think it would be cool to see Ripley at work. That would be, to me, the logical way of showing time if you had to fill that in. But it doesn't really bother me. I think that, like you were saying, the cigarette, the haircut, it all sort of implies that there's been this gap. I'm fine with that as it exists. And I think I'm fine with it at the end, but I don't disagree with Scott that it could have been yeah. used a little caressing here. We could add a little bit more, maybe one beat, just one beat would have helped. Yeah. yeah. I would have loved to have seen Ripley on the getting the job at, at the docks and being taught how to, how to you know, use the lift and you know, basically, you know, being trained very in a very condescending way. And she's just sort of like, I was, I was a pilot, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like this is this, uh, yeah, I can do this. I'm I'm a pilot. Like this is nothing. Um, I, I think that some sort of moment like that could have been really great just to, 
um, just to just to get us to this. Uh, because yeah, I mean, I, while the cigarette thing does work and, and works great, like I, I love it as a visual motif, but it's just, um, I just not the transit, the, the dissolve is just not enough for me, but you know, just my personal taste. Right. Not to bring it back to Newt too, but another thing that kind of bothers me about the sequence is then later when we encounter Newt, when Ripley first meets her. She's sort of like this feral child, which I don't know the exact time between all of this, but it just seems very fast <laughs> for for a kid to suddenly be like, you know, back to this yeah. state of basically being like a wolf child or something. Uh, it just doesn't like work well for me when you've seen her just like a half hour before, all like cute and normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know I know that there has been implied time, and of course she's witnessed trauma and stuff, but it just like doesn't fit together super well for me. I completely agree with that, yeah. The more ambiguous they are about the time, the better. Because we're talking about compressed movie time here anyway. We None of it's going to really make sense. So if we're, the more ambiguous you are, the better. Who knows how long it's been since they lost contact? Who knows you know, how long it's been since uh, whatever happened that made them lose contact happened? We know later when Newt, we find her little lair, that she's had enough time to gather things you can only assume that she's had to go back and forth getting her stuff and you know it's it's pretty greasy under those grates and in those vents i'm sure so i I understand why she looks the way she does right but yeah uh you're right i think that when you're dealing with movie time you want to either be really specific or very ambiguous and don't try to play the middle because this is when uh, then you have podcasters on podcasts talking about stuff like this and nitpicking your your the way you present time in a movie you know but uh Really, I mean, obviously, the more important people are the audience watching, and if they start to do it, you've lost them. So, right, I don't know. I think that's good. I think again, yeah, the having it be this way, this more stylistic way of giving us time is is a little bit better, I think. But I'm not against the idea of having another moment as long as it impacts some something else. It's not just a a beat for the sake of pacing. All right, do you guys have anything else for this minute? Nope, I don't. All right, well, that's going to do it for minute number 13 then. Um, We'll see you tomorrow for minute 14. In the meantime, you can check us out at AlienMinute.com or go over to Twitter and tweet at us at uh, AlienMinutePod. Check out some pictures on uh, AlienMinutePodcast on Instagram and drop us a couple of bucks in the virtual tip jar if you have the, uh, the mind to do that. All right, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 14.